As for climate policy, the Netherlands is putting forward far-reaching proposals because there is no other option. The current EU target of reducing CO2 emissions by 40% compared with 1990 levels by 2030 predates the Paris Climate Agreement. We agreed to try to limit global warming to no more than 2 degrees and, if possible, no more than 1.5 degrees. This means that we need to set a more ambitious EU target. Hello everyone, my name is Noah Wanabo, Assistant Analyst at the Higgs Center for Strategic Studies and your host of the HCSS podcast series. Together with expert analysts, the HCSS podcast goes beyond the daily headlines and discusses strategy, geopolitics, and global trends in the fields of security, geoeconomics, and IR. This week's episode is organized by the HCSS Energy Transition Program, uh, which analyzes the geopolitical challenges of the multi-speed global energy transition. So I'm joined by Jan Brown, HCSS Strategic Energy Analyst, and Lucia Van Gons, HCSS Strategic Energy Advisor. Together, we'll zoom in on big climate policy developments in a tiny country, the Netherlands. In the introduction, you heard the Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte introduce highly ambitious Dutch climate policies in a Berlin speech in March 2018. Now, Lucia, the Netherlands is famed for cycling and windmills, uh, both of which are somewhat universal symbols of clean energy. Um, but that doesn't quite give a completely accurate picture uh, of the Netherlands. Can you give us a snapshot of the Dutch energy sector? Well, the Netherlands, as you know, is a low-lying, highly urbanized country, and it's uh, very much uh, dominated by fossil fuels. Our primary energy mix is uh, dominated by natural gas, coal and oil. And uh, only just over 6.5% is made up of, re of uh, renewable energy. And that's actually mainly biomass and with a little bit of uh, uh, wind and solar. So all in all, we have, uh, uh, as far as the EU 2020 targets, we still have a long way to go because we committed ourselves for 40% renewable energy in the mix by 2020. We will most likely not make that. What we have in our what we call energy accord, which was a consensus-based agreement uh, and with the broad public support, which was made in 2013, we have committed ourselves to a even 16% uh, renewable energy in the mix by 2023. Uh, so, you know, building a lot of wind farms, uh, especially uh, uh, offshore, etc., will eventually get us there. So it was very much focused uh, with respect to uh, renewable energy in the mix. Now, as a follow-up of the Paris Agreement, we have actually embarked into a process called the Climate Agreement, and there a framework accord has now been rolled out. Just in July 2018, a highly ambitious target, very much based on CO2 and CO2 emissions. The actual targets are 49% less CO2 emissions by 2030, based on the 1990, 1990 uh, emission uh, figures, and 95% CO2 reduction by 2050, very much along the lines of the, uh, the Paris uh, Agreement. All right, thanks, Lucia. And Jan, is there anything you would like to add to that? So what I would like to add is that the Netherlands is among 14 European member states calling for the EU to increase its climate pledge in line with the efforts to limit global warming to one and a half degrees Celsius. Uh, so there's a, there will be a political moment for countries to signal their commitments to 
this ambition at the upcoming COP24 summit in Poland this December. Our Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte has formulated this as follows. And that brings me to my seventh proposal. Let's agree to reduce CO2 by 55 percent by 2030. This will show that we are serious about the commitments we made in Paris. By adopting this target, the EU will be doing its share to get closer to the global ambition of keeping warming to one and a half degrees. And this climate accord was just reached on July 10th, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay. So the climate accord was reached on July 10th. Uh, it was put together in a very short period of time, only four months. So it's a very general agreement, uh, but we will talk about that later. First of all, there's a very strong emphasis on the electrification of society, basically. I mean, what the overarching theme is, is a move away from fossil fuels to using electricity that is produced by solar and wind. And you see this in all facets for industry, for mobility, for buildings, all of the important sectors of the Dutch economy are going to be increasingly electrified, so to speak. And um, the overall reduction target measures uh, has been set in the climate accord, but also by the government, is going to be 48.7 million ton of CO2. And most of these emission reductions will have to be carried by the power sector and the industry sector. And the power sector is going to or is going to have to reach those targets by massively investing in offshore and onshore wind. And uh, also there has been talks now about trying to establish a CO2 minimum price, a carbon price, uh, but that needs to be further worked out. For the industry, there's a very heavy emphasis on uh, the capture uh, of carbon and storing carbon as a sort of midterm solution, so to speak, towards a carbon-free society, which Lucia mentioned in the introduction, that we have to reach basically by 2050. Huh, that's interesting. And I guess just to build on that, uh, where do these ambitious goals place the Netherlands internationally? Well, you see, there's a strong tendency all across the world that the energy transition is really taking off. If you look, for example, at Germany, Germany has been spearheading the energy transition now for the last 20 years. And especially in the last 10 years, Germany has made a huge effort in increasing uh, its uh, uh, like a share of solar and wind and biomass in its national energy mix. It's now close to almost 40%. If you look at France, France in early 2016 has introduced a mandatory climate reporting for institutional investors in a so-called French energy transition law. And Ireland has recently announced that it's going to be the first country in the world to totally divest from fossil fuel companies. This is really big news. China, of course, is a huge, huge mover and shaker in the world of renewables. It's massively investing in wind and solar, looking at all kinds of grid connections, investing in research and development. At the same time, it's a very uneven trend. In the European Union, uh, the energy transition is mostly carried by the United Kingdom and by Germany. A lot of European countries, including the Netherlands up to now, are laggards in the energy transition. And if you look at, for example, the United States, on the federal level, under the, under, uh, the administration of Donald Trump, 
the whole energy transition has really grinded to a halt. But on the state level, in, uh, as well as states that are dominated by, on the one hand, Republicans, and on the other hand, by the Democrats, you see there's a very strong investment in renewable technology and actually using energy in a much more, uh, in a much more efficient way. And in states such as Arizona and California and New York, there are strong investments in, in, for example, wind and solar. So there's a lot going on, but of course, a lot needs to be done more. And the Netherlands uh, has also really woken up that it needs to move to the front of this whole energy transition. Yeah. And so the Netherlands is uh, sort of positioning itself at the forefront of this energy transition um, so aside from that overarching theme, what really stands out to you uh, in the agreement? Well, as I said, it is highly ambitious and there are a few bottlenecks or possible problems, if you like. One is, as already been mentioned, the, uh, the enormous ambition as far as carbon capture and storage, CCS. This is something which is not very much developed yet in the Netherlands. So a lot of, if you like, trials, large-scale trials, have to start very, very soon in order to reduce uh, CO2 emissions. And it is going to be a large chunk, if you like, of the CO2 uh, reductions we want to establish. So that's for one. It will be mainly in industry. And it depends very much if governments is going to actually subsidize that or help in financing all the investments which need to be done. So that's for one. On the other hand, and that you see actually worldwide or at least also in the Paris Accord that the maritime sector and the aviation sector is not really in- included in the in the whole accord so it's it it, it is it needs to be still um, if you like um, included at one stage so that's a, a missing point if you like and on the other hand and 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 that's something we need to realize in the Netherlands we are very much a, a country which is based on natural gas uh, we used to produce a lot of natural gas now with all the earthquake problems in Groningen we're going to reduce that significantly hence we're going to be import dependent at one stage as far as natural gas but at the same time with this whole energy transition drive we would like to uh, also get if you like rid of natural gas especially within the urbanized society 95 percent of all the households now are connected to a natural gas grid and the ambition now in this in this climate accord is that two million houses will be off or be put off the natural gas grid by 2030 and that is going to be an enormous challenge which means that new Heat networks have to be established. Uh, 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 heat pumps has to be installed instead of uh, of, uh, of heating by natural gas, and also geothermal is going to going to play a more important role, while currently geothermal, both shallow as well as deep, is very much still in its infant state. So that will be within this very short time we have towards 2030 is going to be a, a, a quite a challenge. And Jan, what stood out to you in the Climate Accord? Well, actually, Noah, when I was reading the Dutch Climate Accord, two things really struck me regarding the power sector. Uh, the initial intention of the Dutch government was to ban the use of coal in the power sector by 2030. But if you read now the Dutch Climate Accord, it's very vague of actually phasing out coal. It has some really uh, woolly language on what, what it now means, uh, that it does count towards the target, but it's not clear exactly uh what what how this is going to take place so you see here that they're still very much struggling what they are going to do with uh, the share of coal in the power mix 
And this is a problem that we're also seeing, for example, in Germany, where the share of coal in the power mix is even much, much bigger than it is in the Netherlands. But there also, there is a huge struggle about what do we need to do with our share of coal in the power mix. Second, regarding industry, what struck me in all of the measures and all of the usages of new technology is the attention for indicative reduction of indirect emissions. And these are so-called scope two and three emissions, and they're caused by processes, for example, purchasing goods and services, transportation and distribution, uh, the processing and use of sold products, waste and capital goods. All these things uh, are also are also need to be taken into account when you're measuring the emissions. And a lot of these emissions, these indirect emissions, are taking place outside of the Netherlands. As we mentioned in our June policy comment in 2014, indirect emissions caused by Dutch activities, for example, of the Dutch industry, they produce an estimated 120 million ton of greenhouse gas emissions, mostly outside of the Netherlands. Now, if you compare this number to the reduction target set in the Dutch Climate Accord of almost 49 million tons of CO2, then you have an idea of what a huge number we're talking about, a huge number of indirect emissions. And that needs to be really worked out. And can you give a, an example of the types of indirect emissions that you are talking about? So uh, if you think, for example, about the Dutch chemical industry, it's highly, it's highly clustered and highly integrated into global supply chains and global value chains. For example, if you need to process certain products such as, uh, such as foods, but also, for example, clothing and all kinds of things, they are uh, to a large extent or sometimes really completely, they are made outside of the Netherlands and they need to be transported to the Netherlands to be sold to the consumer here. And those are indirect emissions that I'm actually speaking about. So all of the processes involved in petrochemical processing and all these kinds of things, transport over land, by sea and air, you all need to include this when you're measuring your emissions. And these are the so-called indirect emissions I spoke about. Yeah, you know, and I guess for a country so intertwined in international trade, um, those types of indirect emissions will be fairly substantial. So does the Dutch Climate Accord make any reference to how those can be dealt with or calculated or anything like that? Yeah, so like what the Climate Accord speaks of is that there that what we need to focus on is a clear carbon accounting principle and also monitoring and that needs to be done according to predefined and standard accepted rules. Uh, in our policy comment, we refer to the task force on climate related financial disclosures. And that uh, that is an institution that has developed a standardized tool for measuring and making visible your output of emissions. And uh, we also mentioned in our comment that the Dutch government would need to support uh, this tool for standardized accounting and standardized reporting on your on your indirect emissions. And that's something that they that they actually could take up now in the second half of the year when they're going to discuss the climate accord even further. So there are still some details that need to be hammered out in the climate accord. Well, this climate accord, which has been made, if you like, or the framework has been made within four months, now in the next half year, needs to be um, uh, given more body, more, more flesh on the bones, and also has to be calculated in terms of cost, who's going to pay what. And actually, it should be implemented by the 1st of uh, January 2019. So we have very little time, also very little time in terms of, uh, of uh, making it more, if you like, uh, giving it more, more, more content and 
And that's going to happen in the next half year. And especially the cost part is going to be in a, a very interesting and, 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 and challenging exercise. So if there's still some work to be done on the Dutch Climate Accord, uh, what do you think will show up in later drafts? Uh, and what do you think ought to show up? Yeah. Uh, so what I, what I think is very important that needs to be fleshed out is really further research on the effects of a CO2 price that needs to be really figured out in a regional level with our neighbors. Um, some countries, for example, the UK that has established a CO2 price, but we really have to find out, okay, what are the effects for the Dutch economy, for the Dutch consumer? That is a very important issue. We also have to look at the future of, for example, hydrogen. We have to really map out the potential and also the demand for hydrogen. We have to look at the infrastructure. We have to work with industry and other network operators. What are the technical possibilities for hydrogen? Because we have a large gas network and you could also use hydrogen for that. You can easily store hydrogen uh, in so-called tanks. Uh, so, so, But that needs to be fleshed out. There's a lot of technical detail still that needs to be fleshed out on these issues. I mean, how, how can you actually, if you are going to increasingly rely on solar and wind, what are you going to, how are you going to manage intermittency? What are you going to do with sort of the issue of flexibility and storage? These are all technical questions that need to be fleshed out. Yeah. And of course, what I also wanted to uh, add of what really needs to be fleshed out is the question regarding biomass, because there are really fundamentally different insights on basically the criteria that biomass must need uh, must meet to be sustainable, uh, whether sufficient sustainable biomass is available, and the actually the contribution of biomass to greenhouse gas emission reduction. So there's a lot of opportunities in the use of biomass, but other parties in the Netherlands also see a lot of risks because when you talk about biomass, you also talk about crops, you also talk about uh, that you you actually have to uh, also import a lot of biomass, which again leads to a lot of indirect emissions. Mm -hmm. But this is also really an issue that the whole use of biomass in emission reduction towards 2030 and 2050 also needs to be fleshed out. And so what do all these changes mean for the average Dutch consumer? Well, there will be a major system change and the consumer will notice that. Um, So we are now very much natural gas based and we will electrify our society um, in a very rapid pace. At the same time, we also will notice it in terms of, uh, of how much energy will cost. In the framework accord now, as being issued, uh, clearly said that natural gas will be taxed higher, while electricity will be uh, taxed lower. But one way or another, we will notice that in terms of a higher uh, energy bill. How much? Still, verdict is out. It's going to be calculated over the next six months. Yeah, so Noah, what I wanted to add here is that what we saw in the initial government plans is that they want to increase uh, the value-added taxes for, uh, for, uh, for example, goods and services with a certain percentage. This wasn't fleshed out in the accord at all. But that is what, I mean, we are going to pay higher prices for, for actually food and services. Because we also, to a large extent, have to really demotivate uh, the Dutch consumer to actually to consume less. Well, given that, then I'm I'm wondering if you think it's feasible to meet these goals, uh, you know, especially the medium and long term ones, uh, especially if the Dutch consumer starts to uh, really feel the financial impact from this. 
what, what is also in the accord is that it should become, it is very much a society-based accord. It should come from, it should be a bottom-up approach. It yeah. should be, you know, it should be a high, well, say, broad public support. Interesting. So I, I suppose it, it depends on whether or not that uh, support maintains. May I just take the example of our neighbors in Germany, where the energy transition is in a much more in a much more advanced stage than it is in the Netherlands. Uh, the contribution of renewables to the German power mix or to the German energy mix has just recently crossed forty percent. Uh, but what you see in Germany, and it's very interesting, despite the incredibly high cost of power in Germany, and I know that because I've lived in Germany for seven years, and I saw, and I actually saw my energy bill every year, uh, there's a huge support for the energy transition, despite the towering costs. Uh, the overall German consumer is supportive of the idea, thinks it's a good idea that we actually need to support this. Now the question is, is this the same case for the Dutch consumer? And that needs to be and and that needs to be figured out. But that's a question also of politics. So I I would just like to add to uh, what Lucia said about the whole process now that's going to take place uh, in a more in a more international perspective. So at the end of the year we're going to have the COP24 in Poland, and uh, it's also said there that uh, the EU is going to sort of draft um, integrated national energy and climate plans as a follow up to the whole Paris Agreement process. So I think, or as you see, is that the whole Dutch national process will, to a large extent, coincide with the European process uh, in, in the framework of the Paris Agreement. Well, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us about this today. Uh, thanks for hosting us, Noah. Yeah, thanks, uh, Noah, for hosting us. You can see more work from the Energy Transition Program at our website, hcss.nl. And you can stay up to date on our latest podcasts and other work from HCSS, following us on our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or by subscribing to the newsletter via the website.